Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Location Matters. I'm Sarah Butler, your host, and this is our first episode back from a bit of a break. So we're now officially on season two. So we're really happy to be back. We've got some really cool episodes in the pipeline for everyone to listen to. And as always, if you're following us on our social media channels, that's NGIS Australia, we're always asking for feedback on topics and episodes and things that you want to hear about. So if you have any ideas and things that you want to hear about in season two, let us know. Just go onto those social profiles and just leave us a comment and we'll follow up with you directly. Today, I am joined by two of my colleagues from EO Data Science. We're going to be talking about neural networks today. In more detail, we're going to be talking about machine learning and how you apply that to geospatial problems. So today, I'm really happy to have Sam Atkinson back. How are you going, Sam? Have you been well? I've been great. Thanks, Sarah. That's good. And we also have Amar, and he's joining us from EO Data Science. This is his first rodeo in the NGIS Location Matters studio. Amar, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. We're really happy to have you here. Excited to be on this. So Amar, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Tell us about how you got started at EO Data Science, what you're doing there. So I joined NGIS in the EO Data Science team at the end of last year, and I've been mainly working on using machine learning in particular and deep learning to be specific for different remote sensing and geospatial projects, such as ground disturbance detection, harvest change detection, and paddock delineation. Before joining the EO data science team, I was working at another remote sensing based company and prior to that I was doing my PhD in computer science at the University of Western Australia. My research interest in my PhD was computer vision and deep learning and the project I was working on it was about deep learning for underwater image analysis. So I was working on projects like coral reef classification and species detection from the underwater imagery. So you're definitely the perfect person to be on the podcast talking about exactly what we're talking about today. So thank you very much for coming. Sam, you have, I guess, being the general manager of EO Data Science, you've had a pretty exciting start to the new financial year. There's been some big announcements happening. Yeah, absolutely. I work with a group on Earth Observations and Google for a project to support what is 32 global projects aimed at addressing you know, climate change challenges, sustainable development goals and you know, disaster risk mitigation has yeah, just been announced. And yeah, we're just hugely excited to get started on that. We had a phone hookup with Google this morning, in fact, just, just talking about it and, and all the things that we, we kind of got to do pretty soon to get those projects off and racing. Yeah, for all of us, it's hugely exciting. The proposals that have been successful, a lot of them are just absolutely amazing. A lot of them are aiming at global impacts and some of them are are really going to kick some great goals when it comes to sustainable development goals and as that relates to a lot of people in the real world. So we're hugely excited. Yeah, it looks really exciting. I think what will be really great to see is that I know that the team has planned a sort of outreach with regards to talking to each of the winning projects, going in a bit more depth about what they're trying to achieve what they're building, how your team is going to be supporting them. So that'll be a bit of a blog series for our listeners to watch out for as well. Let's get right into this topic because there is a lot to unpack here. First up, I'm going to ask you, Amar, I guess if you um, had to explain it in the concept in simple terms, how would you describe neural networks simply? Simple terms, consider neural network is like a black box where you have an input and output and you try to find a relationship or a pattern that models that input and output together. 
In earlier days, neural networks were modeled based on how our neurons in our human brain work. So it's a series of different layers of neurons that are stacked on top of each other. So the complex the relationship, the deeper the neural network is. So ideally, uh, you have your input and you have this series of layers of neurons and some weights associated with them. And then your output is at the end. So you try to find a pattern or a mathematical relationship that can be linear or non-linear using the weights and layers of neurons. So it's like take your input and your set of output and you try to set the weights of these layers in such a fashion that at the end of the day, your desired output looks like your actual output. Mm. Is this the application of that into the work that you're doing with Earth observations, is that something that you had done before you came to EO Data Science or is this something that you've just started looking at now in more depth? I mean, is it something that you've always been aware of? Yes, yeah, certainly aware of. I mean, machine learning in general has been used in you know, geospatial applications for ages, but it's, it's really only been in the last maybe five or so years when you know, neural networks and, and deep learning in particular have been really applied in the geospatial sciences. For us, it's reasonably new. Having said that, I think we're, we're possibly a little bit ahead of the curve, at least locally here, in trying to apply neural networks for kind of very specific industry applications. Amar, I guess, could you explain what sort of problems suit the use of neural networks? Neural networks are basically a class of machine learning models. So anything that can be solved using a machine learning approach where you have to automate something, where you have to find the patterns between the inputs and outputs. These are the sort of problems that can be solved using neural networks. So, for example, from a computer vision and imaging perspective, problems such as image classification, detection of various objects in the images, segmenting every pixel of the image, change detection and other such similar problems the neural networks and the deep specifically the deep learning can be used for such tasks and coming to the language side of it so uh, translation object character recognition these are the sort of problems that can be solved and also problems such as classification let's say classifying your emails into junk and not junk and other things and targeted ads and a lot of other problems suited for this kind of approach I'll just add to that as well. There are a lot of yeah different types of machine learning and there's a, lot, there's a lot of ways to as well just break down problems, classify problems. Where neural networks really come to the fore is when those problems are huge or the task at hand is you know really has to scale and scale quickly. So you know, an example of that is recognition of people in photos. So you know, I use Google Photos and you know if I you know, click on one of my children, it'll go right back through and even actually gets out the baby photos, which I think is quite amazing because you know, I can't quite pick the difference. Is that, that's a boys. feature on the iPhone, isn't it? Yes, and that's, an, it's, you know, that's a great example of where it has to scale. And one of the key advantages of neural networks is that to make predictions using a model is pretty much computationally trivial. So that's why you know that prediction can actually be made on your mobile because that model is so lightweight. But again, you, you kind of got to have the you got to match the problem to the solution. So if your um, neural networks, there's a reasonable amount of development required. So if your problem is small or doesn't really need to be applied at scale, you know, more computationally efficient methods of developing the classifier can be more appropriate or just, I suppose, more efficient to get to. So that's where conventional methods like, you know, random forests or support vector machines can really come into play and get an equivalent solution easier. So yeah, you really kind of got to understand what your problem is and what the best approach to solving it is.
and adding to that like neural networks have been around since like late 1980s and early 1990s and then they made a comeback in the early 2000s but not until 2010 12 or 13 they were used on such a large scale for image classification and other things the main reason for that was back in the 80s and 90s the hardware was not efficient enough for uh, implementing these neural networks on such a large scale but Coming to this, in the last decade, we have come far in like advancement of the CPUs and then the graphical processing units, the GPUs, and then it became a lot easier to implement these deeper and deeper neural networks to solve very complex image and video and language related problems. And that's why they became very successful. And in the last decade, almost in computer vision, they have almost replaced every existing traditional machine learning or computer vision based method. Something that we often talk about here on the podcast, Sam, is speed, speed of processing and things like that. So this must yep. be the answer to your prayers, working in Earth observations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's the key driver, I think, of how yeah, Earth observation geosciences in general are really taking off at the moment. And that's the computational power that's now available. So in terms of how your taking that, everything that you just said there, Amar, and then applying that to the problems that you're working on with clients and how you're applying that in Earth observations. Can you tell me a little bit more about maybe some of those industry applications that you're seeing a lot of in, in your work? Yeah, so from the, definitely with a taking a spatial bent to that answer, um, really the sorts of problems we're trying to tackle with neural networks are are the tasks which need to be done at scale and those which are kind of highly repetitive using kind of conventional approaches. So, I mean, a great example of that is the work we're doing around ground disturbance mapping. So within the mining industry, for a variety of reasons, you know, one of which is regulatory, mining companies essentially digitise the boundaries of all of their ground disturbance. So if you imagine a, um, you know, a grid of exploration tracks and drill pads, the digitising task itself actually takes days, months for some of these companies. Some of the larger companies, they have people essentially working full-time on this task to just digitise. So that's an ideal application for machine learning because... One, it's image recognition, and two, it has to be done at scale, so that makes the investment in that kind of worthwhile. And thirdly, with all of that work kind of already being done, there's ample training data to actually develop a, uh, a model. Has there been anything that you've been working on, Amar, that sort of stands out in terms of like a use case in, in the world of geospatial? So most of the projects that I've been working on since I started at uh, NGIS, they fall under that category. So at first I was working on a project where the main goal was to delineate the boundaries of paddocks. These days, the bottleneck in using deep learning models and methods is not the architecture or the computational side of it, but it's actually having a good data set to train these models on. Because it's like take deep learning as like training a child to differentiate between a cat and a dog. Let's say you have a kid who is in his early years and then you show that kid hundreds and thousands of example images of dogs and cats and eventually the kid will learn to differentiate between the cat and dog. So this is how the neural networks and deep learning models work. So when we have a very good training data set, the problem is more than half solved. It's just a matter of finding a deep learning model that suits that particular problem and then training it and running the predictions on the test area. For some of the applications that I've been working in, we such as the paddock delineation one, we had a lot of training data and it was a matter of finding a good edge detection kind of deep learning model that did that task and we got some really good results. And in one of the other projects that I was working on, it was detection of harvest events in the satellite imagery. And for that, the client didn't have any training data set. So the first task was to generate 
a training data set. So I sat down and used the information provided by the client to mark out some harvest events in the imagery, in the satellite imagery. And then I trained a image segmentation and changed detection based models. So what that model requires is a set of two input images. One is pre-change and other is post-change and it gives out the output as, okay, I have detected a harvest event in these set of images. And then uh, mostly I'm working on the ground disturbance detection that Sam mentioned. So in that case, like a lot of mining companies do have that capability where they have a lot of people who are just focused on hand drawing those ground disturbances. And this can get really cumbersome and time consuming. So any task where you use the satellite or any kind of imagery and you draw some polygons and vectors on basis of that imagery, that task actually can be solved using deep learning by using the data that has already been collected. Thank you. That's an amazing amount of detail and certainly some use cases there that I hadn't considered before either. What are some of, I mean, when when we talk about doing work like that and talking about the sheer amount of data that's being dealt with and and processed, because you mentioned that you obviously have to do these training models what are some of the main technology requirements that you need to implement that type of work in terms of training the models and using the deep learning models basically it's programming exercise so you have to have a programming language let's say python is really popular and the first choice for using deep learning and then you have to have a library that supports these deep learning models and it has all the functions for their training and testing so since we're mostly working with google stack so tensorflow is a good choice for that and other options are pytorch and some other libraries and another important thing is the availability of high computing sources such as like i'm using virtual machines on the google cloud which have a lot of gpus so ideally you would want to have more gpus so they really speed up the training process because it's a computationally expensive task and that has to be like this is like the first step in training the model and once the model is trained you can just take the model at the end of the day it's just a small file and you can deploy it on any simple device such as even your phone because the prediction bit of this whole pipeline is not that computationally expensive yeah that's probably the the key point i mean just as an overview yeah we're using we're using a google sap you know the critical piece that you need for for training a training a neural net is gpus and good gpus that's where if you do yeah use it cloud technology provider that's pretty easy to do and then once kind of that grunt work is done that real heavy lifting the model itself is just so easy to deploy Um, you know our typical approach is to do that training in a vm but then the model's just used on just on the desktop just on our work laptops so in terms of the the conversations sam that you have with clients organizations that might approach you and you you're doing this type of work with them. So you mentioned ground disturbance, you mentioned the paddock delineation. Something that Amar said was that it took a process that would have been previously, I think your words were time consuming and cumbersome and make them much faster. Is that really the the key thing that people are looking for? Is it the speed? Is it the taking something that took ages before to do and making it faster? Are these the types of problems that people are coming to you with that you're saying that this is the solution for it or is it something else? No, that's generally the case. You know, really what neural nets offer you is the ability to do something far more efficiently, far more quickly, and it can open up different use cases. So, for example, you know, we, we spoke about ground disturbance in mining and, yeah, very labour-intensive tasks, which means there's a long duration on it. So, you know, you'll get an aerial image, GIS crew will get to work on it, but it's weeks to months before they finish that image, right? With a neural net, you to use the model to make a prediction on that image and an hour later you've got the result. So that allows you to, in terms of business processes, make different decisions because rather than your information being a month or two old, it's a couple of days old. 
and that then kind of opens up new opportunities for you know, things like monitoring progress of contractors in a mining environment or otherwise, I suppose, taking insights straight up to decision makers rather than having to filter through a chain of people to get there. I can imagine that you probably do talk with a lot of data scientists within some of these organisations or maybe not, maybe some people working in GIS that are quite familiar with this concept, but there might be people within the business, like you just said, the decision makers that really don't or haven't really heard or can understand much about about this application. Do you think that it's daunting for people at a decision-making level in business, the idea of like handing off this type of processing power to a machine? I don't think so. I mean, everybody's everybody has heard of AI. You know, it's possibly one of the most overhyped, overused and kind of abused buzzword that we've had getting around our industry for quite a while. But really when clients come to us looking for a solution to a problem, they're, they're looking for us to recommend the best solution. And if we say it is neural networks or it's not neural networks and it's certainly not AI in inverted commas, then that's, that's really our role as consultants to provide that best solution. I mean, really as well, um, when it comes across any of these technologies, the decision makers aren't ever going to be across the, you know, the absolute technical complexity of what's, what's under the hood just because that's not their role. Sorry to sidestep for a sec, but I feel like there might be a little bit of, I don't know, like people not knowing the difference between AI and machine learning. Is that like a bugbear for you guys? Uh, I think it does annoy um, technical people a yeah. bit. That AI is a, no offence Sarah, but it's a, it's a term abused mostly by marketing and salespeople. What are you trying to say to me, Sam? <laughs> well, I, know, I know you've never been guilty of it because I'm looking out for the day. I mean, the, the, the old joke is that if it's written in Python, it's probably machine learning. If it's written in PowerPoint, it's probably AI. I think I heard Amar talking about this in one of our work chats. Is this what yes. yep. I feel like this is something quite you get quite um, protective of, Amar. No, it's all right. So basically, like, just a, so AI is this very big area of study or research, and machine learning is part of it. Like, machine learning is like a set of algorithms that are part of like AI, and then coming into the machine learning. So neural networks and deep learning, which are like just layers of neural networks stacked on top of each other so deep learning is a part of machine learning so like deep learning is a subset of machine learning and machine learning is a subset of ai so it's not just ai so for anyone that's listening we're talking about machine learning remember this it's not just ai and yeah i'll just add to that as well that regardless of how simple or sophisticated your programming or your your algorithm in inverted commas is yeah just calling it ai when it's i've seen the ndvi just a, a simple ratio basic maths described as ai in marketing material okay point noted and if we ever do that you have permission to come over and tell us to will, pull our I heads will, in guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so can you perform artificial neural network learning models across all cloud platforms is that something that's available across all of the cloud platforms that are out there at the moment obviously i'm talking about the key ones in the market we've talked about google already you've said that you're using google what about amazon what about microsoft azure so all the big three cloud platforms they have like tools and libraries to do all the machine learning grunt work and they are like most of the products that for example we are using in google cloud platform they are already readily available in Amazon and Microsoft's CloudStack as well. And most of them, uh, like they also have some shared libraries, for example, like TensorFlow and PyTorch and other libraries, which are very easily transferable to other cloud stacks and they all support each other. Yeah. So it's kind of a interconnected ecosystem. So most of the work, let's say that I have done on Google Cloud Platform can be easily reproduced in 
let's say Amazon's. Would it be right of me to say that you guys are probably using the Google stack because of all the work you're doing on Google Earth Engine? Because I know that that's pretty much a core capability of the EO Data Science team. Yeah, partly. And the Google stack supports machine learning really well. So, um, you know, TensorFlow was, you know, that was developed by Google before they open sourced that in was that 2014, yes. somewhere around there. And... You know, that was a, we should talk about, that was a pretty groundbreaking moment for kind of the general science community when it comes to neural networks because, you know, the Google's research teams had done a mountain of work and when they released that, I think pretty much everybody was surprised by how advanced it is. Mm. Um, you know, I've heard, not an expert in this field, but I, I did hear some commentators kind of saying that, well, this has kind of advanced the general science by about two years in open sourcing all of that research. And I think they've really, Google's really followed on with that, with a lot of the kind of tools, linkages with the rest of the cloud platform that they've got to really make it user-friendly, a variety of kind of expertise levels. Would you agree with that, Amar? Google is like one of the key players in the AI and machine learning and deep learning domain. And by open sourcing TensorFlow, they have really helped the research and the industry. Bit of a bonus question. We, we sort of touched briefly, Sam, on the beginning of some of these projects that have been announced in the last week as part of the Group on Earth Observations and Google Earth Engine initiative, which EO Data Science will be providing support for over the next two years. Any standout applications there that are kind of applying what we've been talking about today that you would highlight? Are they are any of them doing this or all of them? Certainly, certainly some of them are. I'm, I'm just trying to recall now because I, I was involved in reviewing all of the proposals and there were a lot. There were certainly some that were very focused on neural networks, but I've not been back over that list of 30. Mm, it's recall. a lot. <laughs> so there were definitely, they were definitely proposed, and I'd be very surprised if there aren't um, at least some of them made it through that are applying neural network machine learning or deep learning approaches. Certainly in kind of everyday geospatial work, and particularly using Earth Engine, which makes it so easy. How many applications did you get? So I know we keep talking about the fact that you came down to about, I think it was 32 projects. Yeah, um, how many lots. applications did you have to go through? Lots. Um, we had to scroll a fair way down the Excel sheet um, that we were tracking them on. Off the top of my head, somewhere around 70 or 80. Wow. It would have taken quite some time. It would have been hard to narrow that down, actually, because I'm sure oh, that... It was, it was quite difficult. Well, I mean, it, it's, um, you know, it was initially only going to be 25 projects accepted, but it was pretty hard to split a lot of them. So, yeah, we kind of sweet-talked Google and, and managed to bump <laughs> up the number of projects that were included. Well, it was nice of them. Oh, look, Google's so excited to be part of this. Yeah. So, yeah. And your team's growing. Your team's yes. growing now because you need people to help support this. Yes, absolutely. We're, um, yeah, so I suppose on top of kind of organic growth in, in the business, there's also, yeah, our, our commitment to this. So we are recruiting at the moment, or have, have been recruiting to help support this role as, as well as our clients. That's awesome. So in terms of people wanting to know more about what, what we've been discussing today, if they want to educate themselves a little bit more on this, apart from listening to this podcast episode, is there any resources that you direct people to that would be helpful? In the last few years, I have seen a lot of people from other domains, previously like only computer scientists and electrical engineers or software engineers would start doing machine learning and deep learning. But in the last two, three years, I have seen people with diverse backgrounds. I have seen some civil and chemical engineers coming towards data science, even people coming from non-engineering. Domain. So some of the basic things like prerequisites for starting machine learning and deep learning are usually basic mathematics, linear algebra, matrix manipulations, and some statistical knowledge. And then when it comes to the to the point skill set, it's like you need to know one programming language and Python is really easy to learn. 
like even if you don't have a background in programming you can easily start learning python and it will give you a very good background of uh, programming as well and then on top of that there are very good free and open source uh, machine learning and deep learning courses available like one of the key ones that's really popular is from Andrew NG it's also available on i think it's on Coursera and then it's also like they have started their own deeplearning.ai it's a website they have started their own deep learning kind of school so they have very good courses and i think their beginners course the introduction to ml course is free of cost so that's a very good point to start excellent yeah i'm not as familiar with the actual resources to learn this work myself but um just in terms of if people are out there and thinking well we might like to start using machine learning a bit more in our business i just want to kind of emphasize the importance of well-organized training data so our machine learning projects at the moment are typically we're spending about 70 percent of that project time in collating cleaning and qaing the training data so that's something that we actually don't have to do and if, if we did have a project where that was provided then all of a sudden it's a it's a much shorter path to get to the end point so if businesses are out there thinking well we might want to do this in future now is a good time to start organizing your data that's um, really good advice in general yeah awesome so i think um we will just include in our podcast notes on ngis.com.au in the newsroom so in the newsroom you go to podcasts and we'll have all of our podcast notes there and we will put some of the links to some of those courses that amar mentioned and some of the other resources we talked about today including some information about the geo and gee impact initiative being run by eo data science and links to some of the newsroom articles about the announcement that we referred to. I'd also recommend to our listeners to follow EO Data Science on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. They're putting out a lot of really cool articles at the moment, lots of very technical articles. So if that's something you're into, then you should follow them there. And I think you'll get a lot of really helpful information via those avenues. But that's all we have time for today. Sam, thank you very much. Amar, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thanks. If you'd like to subscribe to Location Matters, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, and also now on Google Podcasts, which we have just uploaded all of our episodes to. So get involved on that platform as well. You've been listening to Location Matters the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.